and welcome to another episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hey, Naomi, and this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are excited to be joined from California by Wen Yuen Wu. She is the executive director of the Californians for Equal Rights Foundation, and uh, we have a lot of questions about what is going on in education in California for her today. So I'm going to let Ian start because he is chomping at the bit. Yes, Wen Yuen, you are a hero. Uh, It's so inspiring what you have done in California. Really, it's it's a model for the rest of the country that's seeing all of these seemingly well-intended efforts uh, in K-12 education but also seemingly really potentially doing damage to kids. And so today we'd love to talk to you about two areas I know that you've been intimately involved with. One is the California ethnic studies model curriculum, just what it is and what the pushback has been. And then something more recent, the California math framework, which again, in the name of equity is is looking to reduce achievement gaps, but not by raising standards, but seemingly to reduce them. So let's start with the ethnic studies uh, curriculum and just what's been going on there, because I know you've had some legal action in that area. Right. Okay. And first of all, thank you, Ian and Naomi, for having me on. It's a pleasure and honor. And uh, speaking of uh, heroes, I think the true heroes, at least in California, in one of the most progressive states are the parents and community members who have helped us, who have championed the cause of equal rights and merit. So uh, with that being said, there are two tracks of ethnic studies in California. Uh, The first track is bureaucratic. In March of this year, the California Department of Education approved the final and fourth draft of the ethnic studies model curriculum, which is intended not only to guide California's 1,000 plus public school districts, but also to serve as a national blueprint for how ethnic studies should and can be taught in K-12. And the second track is legislative. In October, in early October, Governor Newsom signed AB 101 into law which has made California uh, the first state in the whole country that mandates ethnic studies to be a high school graduation requirement. So we have these twin tracks of of developments regarding ethnic studies. In theory, ethnic studies sounds like a benign and, um, and even positive discipline to teach children and students to be global citizens with appreciation for and understanding of cultures and ethnicities throughout the United States. But in reality, I dare to argue and I can present with enough empirical evidence that ethnic studies has been hijacked by an ideology called critical race theory or critical pedagogy, uh, not only in the state model, but also in a more radical model that's being implemented in over 20 school districts, including San Diego Unified, LA Unified, Los Angeles Unified, two of the biggest uh, school districts in California. So we, uh, in other words, we have a state legislature, a governor's office, and 
a state bureaucracy supporting critical ethnic studies as a model to, to teach cultures, history, and ethnicities. And then at the district level, we have at least over two dozens of school districts that are promoting and teaching liberating ethnic studies, which is a more radical version compared with the state approved model. And what would be an example of something that a student might be exposed to that you think is objectionable? Well, the most ob objectionable aspect in the state approved model, I would argue, is its guiding principle to dismantle racism, to encourage political uh, consciousness and racial consci consciousness among students. So the objective is really to train our students in the K-12 pipeline to become activists, to do the bidding of racial justice and, and not to teach really about cultures and history. And um, the whole framework is steeped in an ideology, a uh, divisive ideology that pits students or groups against each other as oppressors, versus victims. And um, the most egregious example of the state approved ethnic studies model curriculum is its endorsement of several religious chants that the framework characterizes as energizers and classroom warmups. But in reality, these chants, including a chant to, uh, to five Aztec deities or gods that prayed um, um, on human sacrifice, um, they, they constitute unconstitutional government sanctions or government endorsements of religious activities. I mean, the fact that it's unconstitutional seems like the least of the problems there. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I appreciate your taking issue with the constitutional issue, but um, yeah, I, I think there are lots of other problems and I could see why parents are getting behind your movement. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, one of the things that made a lot of news was also just the omission of certain groups uh, from ethnic studies. Um, I think a lot of people said, you know, uh, Jewish contributions to America were completely erased. And there was no, in all the discussion about racism and bigotry, there was no discussion of anti-Semitism uh, as a problem that has ever happened in the United States, let alone California. And so it seems like some of the problems with the curriculum are not just what it includes, but also what it decides not to include. Right. Well, the part that the ethnic studies framework is questionably, argumentatively anti-Semitic is with the previous three drafts. So for the fourth draft, the state in a window dressing way added mm -hmm. a lesson on Jewish Americans. Okay. Uh, in not only in my opinion, but also from the perspective of several partner groups, Jewish partner groups that we've worked with to combat uh, critical ethnic studies. This is insufficient. It's really putting lipsticks on a pig. In a way, and it's not really addressing the deep ideological problems of the paradigm of ethnic studies. Uh, and then we also have at the district level, for example, LA Unified has since 2014 mandated ethnic studies to be a high school graduation requirement. That's way before the state passed the state mandate law AB 101. And then we have 
in the second largest school district in San Diego, Unified, uh, we have a board president, Richard Becerra, who went on record on a public interview uh, saying that we do not have an ethnic studies curriculum, but we're teaching ethnic studies as a principle to be infused mm. in various disciplines, including English history, US history and world history, and science and math. Mm. So that's, I think that you're right. The, the legally questionable aspect is the least concerning. We, we're really looking at a um, revolution, a thought revolution of, of promoting um, political ideology through ethnic studies. Yeah. Can, can you have, talk about, um, you, you mentioned partners that you have, but can you talk about just kind of popular opinion on these issues and where the citizens of California kind of come down on these questions? Are they aware of what's going on in their schools? And um, do you think it's possible to educate them more? What, what do you see as the hurdle here to changing this situation? Do you have to change the minds of the public or just inform them better? I, I think what we can do as public advocates is to raise awareness mm-hmm. about the issues, the deep, deep issues and the potential harms of teaching kids that they are either oppressed or oppressing others, uh, or to teach kids to web to weaponize cultural and ethnic studies uh, to become politically conscious, to become racially conscious. I think we need to do a lot of public awareness building. But even in California, we're seeing a parent-led, community-led revolt against a disconnected state legislature against a radical uh, political ideology. So for example, in September, when AB 101 passed out of the state legislature, my group organized a campaign to urge Governor Newsom to veto AB 101. And we successfully organized a coalition of 28 organizations throughout the state of California, including organizations that represent or champion other ethnic groups like Black Americans, um, Latino Americans, and Asian Americans. So we have a very broad-based bipartisan coalition against ethnic studies being hijacked and weaponized by critical pedagogy or critical race theory. And I think that we see we're seeing a lot of more awareness being built up from the bottom up parents would come to us with fresh evidence. And just last week, I received an email from a parent in San Diego Unified. She said, I heard that you guys are suing the state of California, but my daughter is being forced to chant the In Luck Ek Aztec God chant in her uh, freshman foundation class. So it's not even an ethnic studies class or a history class, it's a foundation class. And we similar emails or similar evidence is being exposed and being brought to the sunlight by ordinary Californians who are really just fed up with, with, with a political agenda that's really out of touch uh, with the realities, even in California. What what is even the defense of the chanting of the Aztec? If if we had one of the people who crafted this curriculum, why would they say they're mandating this that particular exercise? 
well, the, the defense is that they are only teaching the chant as a classroom warm-up activity to bring students together, to encourage them to be more culturally sensitive towards Mexican American. Oh and then I'm gonna come up with a warm-up chant for our podcast, Ian. Right, but our warm-ups, we did jumping jacks. <laughs> I'm sure that's a sign of white supremacy. All right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Speaking of white supremacy, we need to talk about math. So uh, there is this great letter that came out uh, from uh, mathematicians all over the country who are very concerned about the state of math curricula and the way it is being watered down in the name of social justice. So can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about how your organization has been talking about the math frameworks in California. Sure. So I wish I was part of the coalition ladder, but I've been paying attention to their impressive work exposing the deep philosophical or uh, substantive problems of the the new 2021 to 2022 California math framework. In short, in layman's terms, I think the framework is 90% equity and 10% math. And that's problematic in itself. That doesn't sound very equal. (laughs) No, it should should be like, I think these people would think it'd be like 90% equity and like 12% math, right? (laughs) It's it's not really equitable. (laughs) (laughs) And so I first noticed this framework in spring, late spring this year, when a few parents in the Bay Area uh, came to us to ask our position on the math framework. So I started reading and my head almost exploded when I read that math was to be taught to dismantle white racism and to recenter Black American, Indigenous, Latino, whatever, uh, people of color in math. So there are two problems with this new math framework. Number one, it is promoting a concept called delaying, meaning that they, high schools or middle schools won't prioritize or won't have advanced tracks for students who have excellent math capabilities or proficiencies. And number two, the, which is a bigger problem, is that math is to be taught with an equity focus, with an, in an equity lens. And we, uh, we quickly organized a grassroots campaign against this type of critical race to the bottom. <laughs> and we asked our supporters, parents to, to write to their legislators to call the State Department of Education and the State Board of Education to voice their opposition against walk math. Mm-hmm. And in June, we teamed up with a group of congressional delegates from California, led by Congresswoman Young Kim to even expose this issue more. So we helped, um, they came to us, we worked together and we produced a letter, an open letter signed by all the Republican congressional delegates from California to the State Department of Education in opposition to the math framework. And as a result of both the grassroots advocacy work and also the growing opposition from STEM uh, professionals and intellectuals, the State Department 
of Education has decided to postpone the consideration of the framework until spring of next year. So I consider this a small success, although I doubt that the final product, which will debut in late 2022, will be much more different from what we're seeing today. So that's very concerning. But the good news is that just like the ethnic studies model framework, this is only a set of standards. They are not mandatory. It is up to local school districts to adopt their own standards. Yeah, sometimes I get concerned that these folks, they just delay till sort of the tumult dies down and then they just come back. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the things about this math framework, it's not only that it seems to be trying to teach math through an equity lens, they're also reducing like algebra and calculus. So like in this letter that is, is against the California math framework, they say, quote, such frameworks aim to reduce achievement gaps by limiting the availability of advanced math courses in middle and high school, end quote. So let's not raise our standards. Let's just eliminate the classes that we perceive are hard. Is that the general idea behind this framework? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's a race to the bottom. It's putting the car before the horse. It is proposing to dumb down the whole student's a student population in order to achieve equity. Of course, it will be equitable, but we will <laughs> we'll be in a shrinking pile, in a sinking ship in terms of our mass proficiency. And remember, students in California, grades three to eight, only four in 10 can do mass proficiency. And that's a problem in itself. So instead of solving this low achievement or underperformance problem, the state is proposing to even add more uh, ideology and to dumb it down even further. So I think that's very dangerous. And I don't doubt that the bureaucrats and the education reformers in support of the framework have good intentions, but you and I all know that good intentions a lot of times without sound policy analytics or foundation can backfire and can have unintended consequences and even feedback loops that can come back to hurt the students. Yeah, no, and I think just making this connection between what's going on at the K-12 level and the ability of American students to do these jobs in STEM and the ability of America to compete globally on these issues. I mean, you just, you have to sort of spell out for people that this is not just about you know, babysitting eight-year-olds or 12-year-olds and their actual real-world implications for, you know, having kids spend their time doing Aztec chants instead of algebra, too. I mean, that's that's the thing that I think gets lost in some of this is, you know, we can just sort of experiment endlessly with the time that the, the eight hours a day that these kids spend in these institutions without any implications on the other end. That's right. Yeah, we can't socially engineer our public education system with no empirical evidence of proven success and hope that that will solve the problem. It's fighting fire with fire. So when you went, my final question, what's the compelling alternative? You, you, just, you just gave the folks the benefit of the doubt that they are, they're well-intended, but that their strategies are just wrong. And their strategies ultimately will hurt the very kids that we're, that we're all seeking to improve. What would you say should be the right approach that these folks either implicitly or explicitly ignoring or they're not aware of? 
what should we be doing instead? I think number one, let's talk about race, right? I don't think the I don't think public schools or government-run schools are in the business of explicitly placing race at the center of their classroom instruction or their policy making. I think that we need to take that out of the equation and we need to help students who need to be helped the most, the most vulnerable and underprivileged students, regardless of race. And number two, I think that we need to go back to basics, focus on reading, writing, and basic math skills. And we need to spend our uh, local funding in education wisely. So just look at LA Unified. They have for 2021 to 2022, they have a budget a local spending budget of $11 billion, and of which 89 million will be spent on Black Achievement Plan, and over $2 million will be spent to promote restorative justice. How about redirecting these precious taxpayer funds to actually do something about academic achievement and performance? Yeah. Well, since we're, since we're only doing an audio recording, you should all know that Wen Yuan has just pulled out an entire chart that, that contains the LA budget and we can go through it with you if you would like. And, and we will have her back to do that soon. Yes. <laughs> but we want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really informative conversation and we are very encouraged about the people of California finally revolting against this nonsense. So this has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get our episodes uh, at the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Wen Yuan, you are amazing. You're a hero. And what you're demonstrating in California makes many people across our country realize what is possible in their home state. So thank you extremely very much for what you're doing. And I'm yeah. Ian Rowe. And I'm Naomi Riley. And we thank you again for joining us. And thank you for having me today.